I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 14. We'll be looking at verses 43 through 52 this morning. Jesus is betrayed and forsaken. Mark 14, starting in verse 43. And immediately, while he yet spake, comes Judas, one of the twelve. And with him a great multitude with swords and staves, from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And he that betrayed him had given them a token, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, the same as he, take him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he was come, he goes straightway to him and says, Master, Master, and kissed him. And they laid their hands on him and took him. And one of them that stood by drew a sword and smote a servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Are you come out as against a thief with swords and with staves to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you took me not. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. And they all forsook him and fled. And there followed a certain young man having a linen cloth cast about his naked body. And the young, man, young men laid hold on him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this opportunity to be gathered together again today. And Father, what a great joy it's been to sing praises to you, because you are so worthy of praise for who you are and everything that you have done. And as we look at this text this morning, as we consider what our Savior Jesus Christ went through, we are so grateful of what he endured. Being the friend of sinners, what he went through for our sins. Help us to love him more. As we just sang, Father, more love to Christ. Father, we want to have more love for you. And we want to be more like him. And so we pray that you would use your word to make us more like him. Ask that you would do that this morning, Father. Fill us with your spirit and help us to see Christ high and lifted up. And may we rejoice in who he is. Ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Jesus knew that this day was coming. And it was a dark day. It was a dark hour that had now come upon him. And he knew exactly what was going to happen. And he had been preparing his disciples for what was going to happen. We remember in Mark chapter 8, verse 31 through 33, we, we read that for the first time he began to tell them and warn them about what was going to happen when they went to Jerusalem to keep the Passover. It says, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, 
Satan. For you savor not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. So he began to warn them. He began to try to help them to understand what was about to happen. Why he had come and that he had fulfilled his his mission that the Father had sent him to do. Well, because we have to be told things many times, Jesus had to do the same with the disciples. So again, in Mark 9, verses 30 through 32, we read, And they departed thence and passed through Galilee, and he would not that any man should know it. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. But they understood not that saying, and were afraid to ask him. And then again a third time in Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 34. And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus went before them, and they were amazed. And they followed. They were afraid. And he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered into the chief priest and into the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles, and they shall mock him, and shall scourge him, and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. And then in Mark 14, verses 18 through 21, as they, as they were keeping the feast, and as Jesus Christ instituted the Lord's Supper, the communion, which we are going to remember today, and as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, One of you which eats with me shall betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say unto him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? And he answered and said unto them, It is one of the twelve that dips with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good were it for that man if he had never been born. And then, in the text preceding the one before us this morning, said, Jesus said unto them, in verse 27, And ye shall be offended of me because, because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. But Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this day, even this, in this night, before the cock crow twice, you shall deny me thrice. But he spake the more vehemently, If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also said they all. And then Jesus goes into the garden and prays to the Father. If at all possible, let this cup pass from me. But not what I will, but what you will be done. 
and the disciples are sleeping. And Jesus comes to them, verse 41 through 42, and says, And he comes a third time and said unto them, Sleep on now, sleep on now and take your rest. It is enough. The hour is come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise up, let us go. Lo, he that betrays me is at hand. So we just see and are reminded of the omniscience of Christ, that he knew everything that was going to take place. And he had been lovingly warning his disciples about what was going to happen. He was preparing them and himself for what was going to happen. But it's one thing to know what's going to happen, to know that the, the hour has come and the darkness is coming upon you, and it's another thing to have to go through it. Amen? It's one thing in your life if you know that, that you have a test coming up or you have a trial coming up or you know something hard that you're going to have to go through, and there's a stress and there's a burden with that. But it's another thing when the time comes. And you have to walk through the trial. When you have to walk through the burden. When you have to go through the pain and the suffering. And Jesus' heart had been heavy and weighed down. He told the disciples, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Even unto death. And he knew that this time would come. And he says the hour has come. But he had to walk through it. And we see that he begins to walk through it. His teaching ministry, his time with the disciples has come to an end. All this time that he had spent with them, all the things that he had done, all the things that he had showed them, all the things that he had, he had fulfilled that were prophesied about him, all these things had taken place and now the time had come, his hour had come when he would be betrayed and he would be taken and he would be put on trial and he would have to walk through the suffering. He would walk to walk through the pain. He would have to walk through the reject, rejection. So Jesus knew that the time had come and he had just prayed that he would willingly submit to the Father's will. Well, this event is also recorded in the other three Gospels and we learn a lot from the other three Gospels that Mark doesn't record for us in his gospel. So we'll be turning to those, and if you just want to write them down, um, I, will, I will quote from them. Matthew 26, verses 47 through 56. Matthew 26, 47 through 56. Luke 22, 47 through 53. Luke 22, 47 through 53. And John 18, verses 1 through 14. And all of these, even though they show different things and different perspectives, they're all in perfect harmony, one with another, in showing how Judas betrays Christ, Christ's response to that betrayal, his response to those that have come to arrest him, and the recording that all the disciples forsook the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we look at this text this morning, I just will have three headings that will follow. Number one, I want us to look at the hypocrisy of the betrayal of Judas, the hypocrisy of, the hypocrisy of Judas. Number two, the haste of Peter to fight. 
And number three, the humility and honor of Christ. The humility and honor of Christ. Jesus was willing to be betrayed and forsaken. He was willing to be betrayed and forsaken because it was the Father's will and because of His love for the Father and because of His love for you. He was willing to be betrayed and forsaken because it was the Father's will and because of His great love for you. He shows us what it means to humbly submit to the Father's will, even when it means we will suffer. What if you knew ahead of time that you were going to be betrayed by by someone who was close to you? Would you still be willing to be their friend? Would you still be willing to allow them to be in your close company? Would you still be willing for, for... to keep what you knew was going to happen uh, veiled for the sake of others, even though it was causing you great pain and agony. Jesus Christ shows what it means to humbly submit to our Father's will, even when it means we will suffer. And Jesus wants you to learn from His example. Instead of fighting against the Father's will, which is kind of what we see in Peter, right when Jesus first told Peter, about the suffering he was going to endure and God's will and God's plan for him, he didn't want to accept that. He wanted to fight against it. He said, forbid it, Lord, this shall not happen. And Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. You're thinking and acting like Satan, who does not care about the Father's will. He only cares about his own purpose and his own will. And then again, when Jesus Christ tells the disciples that they will all forsake him, Peter says, even though all the other disciples will forsake you, yet I won't. I will, I will even go to death. I will even die with you, even though everyone else will leave you. And so he is fighting against the Father's will. So instead of doing that, we need to humbly accept. Humbly accept the Father's will, and submit to it in loving obedience. And I think that's what we see in Christ. I think that's what we see in this betrayal and how he handles it, his arrest, his whole trial. It was all done in an unlawful way. It was all done in an ungodly way. It was all unjust. He didn't deserve any of it. And as he says here, when they come to arrest him, he says, You come at me like I'm a thief or a robber. And all I've been doing is teaching and preaching and healing. But yet they treated him like a thief and a criminal. And so he has accepted and humbly submitted to the Father's will. And so I hope that that's what we see in Christ as we continue to look at this and we see it today again. And this is what helps us helps us to rejoice in what kind of Savior we have. That He submits to being betrayed. He submits to being arrested. He doesn't fight against it because He knows what He's going to accomplish for you and for me. So we, we could sit here today and have joy unspeakable and full of glory. And we could have peace in our hearts. And we can know that we are forgiven. And we can know that we have been reconciled to God 
because of what Jesus Christ went through. And we can remember his sufferings, and we can remember his death, and we can remember his victory over Satan, his victory over death today, and rejoice that we have victory in him today. And we have hope of eternal life because of what he did. Now let's turn to verse 43 and let's walk through this text this morning. Number one, we see the hypocrisy of Judas. It says, and immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now his betrayer had given them a signal saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one Seize him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. The kiss of betrayal. We had already learned in verse 10 and 11 of this chapter, after that, the woman had come in and broken the alabaster ointment over Jesus Christ and anointed his body, that that stirred up within Judas an anger and a hatred for Christ because he cared not for the glory of Christ, but he cared for the glory of himself. And he loved the money and he loved being in charge of the treasury. And so it tells us in verse 10, And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went into the chief priest to betray him, Unto them, and when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought how he might conveniently betray him. So we know that when they were keeping the Lord's Supper, Jesus Christ told Judas to go and to do what you're going to do quickly. And so now the time has come, and Judas has come with this band of soldiers to arrest the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes because we know the story and sometimes because we know the end and we know what happens and we've, 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 we know the whole story and we know how it works out, sometimes we miss the, the gravity, the weight of this betrayal. And I just I want that to sink in to us this morning that it says Judas Iscariot one of the twelve. And this, this became a title when referring to him because of this betrayal and how great it was and that it was one of, the, one of the special group, one of the twelve disciples that Jesus had that he had spent these three years with in close fellowship with because it was one of them that betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. He became known as Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve. One of the twelve, one that was in close fellowship with Jesus Christ and the other disciples. The pulpit commentary says, How the stupendous crime is here marked. It was so startling a fact that one of the twelve should be the betrayer of our Lord that this designation of Judas became linked with his name, Judas, one of the twelve. He comes not only as a thief and a robber, but also as a traitor. Judas betrays and becomes a traitor of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and a leader of those who were thirsting for Christ's blood. Matthew 26, 50 says that when Judas came and he, he does this, it, it, Jesus says in Matthew 26, 50, but Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? Now Jesus, Jesus knew that Judas was going to do this. The whole time he knew who Judas was. And he knew what was going to happen. But he's speaking to Judas. And Judas is his friend and he calls him friend. Friend, why have you come? Jesus knew why he had come, but he wanted Judas to think about why he had come. Do you understand what you're doing? Luke twenty two forty eight says, But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? A sign of affection? A sign of love? A sign of friendship? This shows us the hypocrisy of Judas, that this is how he chose, and this is the, the token that he was going to use to tell the, the captors, to tell the soldiers who Jesus Christ was, because many of them had never even seen Jesus Christ. They didn't even know what he looked like. And he says, this will be the one, this is how you will know. It's the one who I'm going to go up to and I'm going to kiss. I'm going I'm to act like he's my friend and I'm his friend. I'm going to act like I care about him. And that I have affection, godly, sincere, brotherly affection for him. And the word here, when it says that he went up to Jesus Christ and kissed him. This word, it literally means kiss him much. So it's not, it's not just that he went up and kind of kissed him on the forehead real quick or however that they did it, kissed on the cheek. He was lavishing this upon Christ, acting like he was this close to him and he was his friend. This kiss was an ancient mode of salutation amongst the Jews, even the Romans and other nations. And Judas abused this token of friendship to betray the Lord Jesus Christ. And oh, the sting that this kiss of betrayal must have sent into not only the disciples. Because remember, the disciples didn't understand. Even at, even at the Lord's Supper, they were questioning who it was who was going to betray the Lord. And even when Jesus Christ told Judas to go and do what you're going to do quickly, they thought that Jesus was sending him on some kind of errand to purchase something that they needed. And here Judas comes back. They're probably glad to see him. Hey, Judas is back. And look, he's coming up and, and he's showing affection and kindness to Jesus. And then Jesus makes it clear. You have come to betray the Son of Man with a kiss. And oh, the sting that the disciples must have felt when one of their own had betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ and betrayed them. But also it stung the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though he knew what was going to happen, even though he knew what Judas was, wouldn't it still hurt? Don't you think that it still grieved him? 
when it happened, when Judas comes up and he does this, to know that his hour had come and that he would be betrayed by one of his own. Yes, this was according to the sovereign purpose and plan of God. God had predestinated this to happen. God had preordained this to happen. This was a part of God's plan in working out the salvation of his people. So Judas does exactly what has been ordained and what Christ knows is the purpose and plan for him to redeem his people. But yet, even though that is the case, it still hurt. And Judas was still responsible for his betrayal of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will not be able to say on judgment day, hey God, this was according to your purpose and plan. You predestinated this to happen and I was just fulfilling your plan and your purpose. Hey, it was because of my betrayal that led to the salvation of your people. I I think I should get a pass for that. No. Jesus, the judge, is is going to say to Judas, depart from me. You who worked iniquity, I never knew you. And Jesus had already said, there will be many on that day, in the day of judgment, that will say unto me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out devils in your name? Did we not do many good works in your name? And he will say to them, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. Judas was a part of that group. He was a part of the disciples that had been sent out, who had been given the powers of healing. Those that preached the word of God. But he was not one of the chosen to believe in Christ and to follow Christ and to be changed in his heart. And so the betrayal was real and Judas showed great hypocrisy in this kind of betrayal, kissing him and calling him rabbi, a term of endearment, a term of submission. He's his master, but he had not submitted to Christ as his master. He had not submitted to Christ as his Lord. And so it is all in hypocrisy. Well, what can you learn from this hypocrisy of Judas in his betrayal of Jesus Christ. What's the lesson for you and I today? Well, I found great comfort as I was reading John Calvin in his commentary on this. Because we too, in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, are going to experience betrayal by those in the church just as Jesus Christ and his disciples experienced betrayal by Judas, who was one of their group. We have to realize this, that this is part of the plan and purpose of God to reveal who his true disciples are, to reveal who his true sheep are. Sometimes he's going to allow the goats to be mixed in with the sheep. He's going to allow the tares to be mixed in with the wheat. And we're going to experience betrayal even amongst our own group. And we have to be willing to accept it the way that Christ accepted it. We have to be willing to deal with it the way that he dealt with it. He dealt with it. John Calvin says, Let us know that this evil which Christ once sustained in his own person 
is an evil to which the church will always be exposed, that of cherishing traitors in her bosom. And therefore, it was said a little before, the traitor approached, who was one of the twelve, that we may not be immediately distressed by such instances. For the Lord intends to try our faith in both ways. When without Satan opposes us and the church by open enemies and within he attempts secret destruction by means of hypocrites. We're going to have this. Not only to be hated by the world and the unbelievers out there, but we're going to experience betrayal even by those within. We are taught at the same time that we who are his disciples ought to worship God with sincerity. For the apostates, which we see every day, excite us to fear and to the cultivation of true godliness. What happens when there are, one, there are ones even in our own, own midst who betray us, who walk away, who deny the Lord that they once confessed? What happens to us? It causes us to look within and say, will I also do the same? Will I also turn my back on him? Will I also betray him? God, search me and know my thoughts. Try me and know my ways and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. And so God uses it for our sanctification. And so... He says, Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.19, Let everyone that calls on the name of God depart from iniquity. And in Psalm 2 verse 12, we are all called to kiss the Son, lest He be angry and we perish from the way. And we ought therefore to see that no one give Him a traitor's kiss, otherwise it will cost us dear to have been elevated to so great an honor. So we do not want to kiss with a betrayer's kiss. We want to kiss the Son with a kiss of love and of sincerity. Not only do we see the hypocrisy of Judas in this betrayal of Jesus Christ, but secondly, we also see the haste of Peter to fight. We don't see it in Mark's account, but we do have record. It says that as soon as this happened and the soldiers came to lay their hands on Christ, it says, And one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. How about that, young children? This is a good Bible story for you. We've got a sword sword in it. We've got an ear ear, uh, being cut, cut off. This should grab your attention. Matthew... Though Matthew, Luke, and John gives us more explanation. Matthew 26, verse 51 says, And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Then Jesus said unto him, Put up your sword into its place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Luke 22, verse 49 says, When they which were about him saw what would follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite the sword? And one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But then John tells us who it was who did this. John chapter 18, verse 10. Then Simon Peter, 
having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up your sword into the sheath. The cup which my father has given me, shall I not drink it? And so we see once again the zeal of Peter. We see the love of Peter. But we also once again see that he has not resigned to submit to what Jesus was saying. And he has a lot of pride within his heart that he, he is willing at this time to fight, to harm others, than to humbly submit to the Father's will. And I read a quote from someone that stuck out to me this week. It says, It is easier to fight for the Lord than it is to die for the Lord. And that was the case with Peter. He was willing to fight, and it was easier for him to fight for the Lord than it was to die with the Lord. We need to be willing to fight for the Lord when we're called to fight for the Lord. There's nothing wrong with fighting for the Lord. But Jesus had told Peter what was going to happen. And he said, Shall not I drink of this cup? I have resolved myself that I will drink the cup of God's wrath for sinners, for your sin. And he said, You're trying to keep me from doing that. Put up your sword. Peter acted in haste. The question was asked, Lord, should we fight for you? And instead of waiting for Jesus to answer, Peter just brings out the sword and does it himself. He takes it upon himself to take the initiative. And so we find in this, sometimes in our own life, as an example for us, that sometimes we act too hastily. When we see something or know something that we know is the Lord's will for us either to do or not to do, and we're praying about it, and sometimes we act too hastily and not waiting for the clear answer to come. So I think we just find an example of that in Peter. Well, we've had some great examples of men and women who have been willing to, instead of fighting against their enemies, they are willing to love them and to lay down their life and to die for the Lord. And those are our examples. That if He calls us to fight for Him, we fight. And we're faithful to do it. With courage. But if He calls us to instead not fight, and He calls us to submit, and He calls us to lay down our life in love, are we willing to do it? We have a great example of men who are willing to go to Ecuador to those that were lost, to those who knew not the Lord Jesus Christ, to those who knew not the gospel. And they knew that they were in danger of their very own lives, but they also knew that maybe, maybe if God would so ordain it and so use it, 
that them being willing to give up their lives would mean that the gospel would come even after their death. And so we have Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and Ed McCauley and Peter Fleming and Roger Udarian to go over to Ecuador and be willing to be speared to death, willing to die for the Lord so that years after the gospel would come and it would find root in that same place where they had been put to death. And so, what can you learn from the haste of Peter to fight? Be willing to fight when he calls you to fight, but be willing to submit and to yield when he calls you to submit and to yield. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time, in His time. Don't take it upon the initi- your own initiative to go outside of the Father's will, but yet lovingly submit like Christ was to what was happening. Lastly and thirdly, not only do we see the hypocrisy of Judas and how we want to avoid that, and we see the haste of Peter how we want to avoid that. But lastly, and most importantly, what we should see in this text is once again the humility of Christ. The suffering servant of Isaiah 53. His humility and His honor. Jesus Christ had all power. These guards, Judas, they had no power over Him except for what he willingly submitted to. In fact, this is said, when they come with their swords and they come with their clubs and they come to treat him like a thief and a robber, this is what he says. And when Peter draws out the sword to defend Christ, this is what Christ says. Matthew 26, 53. Think you that I can now... Pray to my Father, and He shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels. Jesus Christ could speak a word, and twelve thousand angels could appear right in His midst and wiped out all of them easily. But how then shall the Scriptures be fulfilled? He was resolved to the Father's will and he was humble, knowing he was the king. But yet he had come as the humble servant, the one to suffer. In that same hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, Are you come out against me as a thief with swords and staves for to take me? For I sat daily with you in the temple, and ye laid no hold on me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Jesus says that over and over again. That the scriptures might be fulfilled. That the scriptures might be fulfilled. He knew exactly what he had to do. And he says all this was in in accordance with the written and spoken word of God.
And he shows us what humility is, and that is being resolved to the Father's will. Luke 22, verse 51 says, after that Peter had cut off the servant of the high priest's ear, he says, suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear and healed him. Don't you love Christ? This is just another example of, of why we love Christ. Not only was he willing to be betrayed, not only was he willing to be forsaken, and not only is he not resisting the arrest that's coming upon him, but when Peter acts in haste and cuts this servant's ear off, he heals the ear of one of the ones who has come to arrest him and have him put to death. You talk about when he said, love your enemies and pray for your enemies and do good to those that would hurt you. Here is Jesus fulfilling that for the disciples. And remember, they're going to have to flee for their lives after this. They're going to be sought after. They're going to be persecuted. They're going to be fought against. And how are they going to do it? Are they going to rise up with an army? Are they going to arm themselves with weapons and go out and attack the Romans and attack the unbelieving Jews? No, they're going to remember what Jesus Christ said and what He did and how He loved even His enemies and how He prayed for them, even those that were crucifying Him. He prayed for them to the Father, that the Father would forgive them. So we see the humility and honor of Christ, that even down into his betrayal, even down to his being arrested, he is still healing and doing good to those that don't deserve it. And Jesus said unto the chief priests and captains of the temple and the elders which were come to him, But ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves, when I was daily with you in the temple, you stretched forth no hands against me. But listen to what he says. But this is your hour. Jesus let it be their hour. He let it be their time. They were never able to take him before. They were never able to do it. But he says, this is your hour. And the power of darkness. Well, we see the power of Christ also in John 18. Because John 18 tells us something that we don't find in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. It says, when they came, and all these things happened, it says in verse 4 of John 18, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said unto them, I am he. I can't even come close to the way he said it. Because there was such power in what he said. It says, And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. And as soon as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Just reminding them of his power. Just a little glimpse. You couldn't do this. You have no power over me unless I was giving it to you. I could just speak a word and you would be annihilated for what you're doing. But yet we see that even when this happens, 
when he shows that he is the great I am. And they see the power of it. Yet they get back up again and they go and they arrest him. And they take him to be tried and to be killed. But Jesus shows us his great humility. He shows us his great honor. And he shows us his great power. And that he willingly submits himself to be taken and to be arrested and to be put on trial for crimes that he did not commit. So what can we learn from this as we conclude? Number one, as we've already said, there will always be those that betray you. It's a part of life. It's a part of living in the gospel kingdom. There will be those that betray us and we must handle it with graciousness and we must handle it with humility in the same way that Christ did, accepting it as part of God's plan and purpose to sanctify us, to grow us, to reveal the true disciples. We need to handle it like Jesus did. Number two, we need to learn from the example of Peter to be too quick to fight against our enemies. And instead, we need to handle it like Jesus did. And number three, we need to have the humility that Christ showed in humbly accepting the Father's will and being gracious and loving to our enemies even when they are seeking to harm us. You know, one of the applications that I thought of is exactly what has been happening this week. Because of the decision that the Supreme Court made, now there is going to be much hatred, much animosity, as there's already been, against Christians, against churches, against the pregnancy resource centers. There's going to be attacks upon them. There's going to be much hatred spewed out against them. Much violence is already being done and will continue to be done. But we need to pray that we don't retaliate in the same manner or the same way that they are against us and against Christ. But yet we need to show love, grace, compassion, and humility as Christ did. We need to show it to them. Brady said, we've got the opportunity of our generation to all those that are hurting, who are blind, who are confused, who who are filled with such hatred, we've got a chance to show them the love of Christ and how it's real in our hearts and lives. And I pray that I can do that, and I pray that you can do that. And I pray that we'll follow the example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lastly, you need to thank Jesus Christ as we celebrate communion today. You need to thank Jesus Christ that he was willing to be betrayed and forsaken for you. Because it says at the end, and all forsook him. All they that said they would never forsake him. Peter who said he would go to, go to, to die with him. He forsook him and all fled him and, and forsook him. Let me remind you that part of the reason that that was is because of the love of Christ. And it said that he would not lose one of his own. So he allowed them to be scattered for their own good and their own safety. But yet they forsook them still. But he was willing to be betrayed and forsaken for you so that you could be forgiven. So that you could be accepted and so that you could be reconciled to the Father. Ephesians chapter 2 Verse 1 through 5 says, And you hath he quickened, made alive who were dead in trespasses and in sins, 
wherein time passed, ye walked according to the course of this world. See, you, you betrayed him. You turned your back on him. You forsook him. You walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom we all had our conversation in time, times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, nature the children of wrath, even as others. That's you. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, even when we betrayed Him, even when we forsook Him, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. What makes the difference between Judas and Peter? Grace. Grace. Peter was showed grace. He was forgiven. He was restored. And this makes a difference in all of us. What makes a difference between you and someone else? The grace of God. Colossians 1, we'll end with this. For it pleased the Father, Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself, By Him, I say, whether they be things on earth or things in heaven. And you, that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight if you continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. He did it for you. He was betrayed and forsaken for you so that you could be reconciled to God, so that you could be presented holy and unblameable and unreprovable. Oh, how we ought to thank our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.